says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me is my good mate, 60s and 60s. Another week, another pod, plenty to talk about. The uh, preseason sort of reaching its zenith, getting into full gear, but also some NRL and Parramatta stuff to get through because we're doing the one-a-week pods at the moment and in our full two- or three-a-week pod sort of rhythm. Yes, so this is our preview podcast. We will have a little bit of news thrown in, but... Soon enough, we'll be back to our three podcasts a week uh, lineup and uh, speaking with Spiro in uh, with regard to our usual news when uh, when we get into that three times a week podcast. But you know we can't ignore what's going on because there's plenty going on in the world of rugby league. But mate, before we do, before we do, this is really really important because we've got the Parramatta Leagues Club. Uh, voting for uh, the board of directors and that's now like you can vote right now and this is close to our heart because we were really uh, we were so involved in making sure that we had that change of constitution to the leagues club all those years ago we fought hard for it along with other people it's it's vitally important that one of the things that we brought were able to get in with the change of constitution was electronic voting. Yep. Electronic voting means that there really isn't an excuse to not vote in this election because it only takes a couple of minutes to cast your vote and then you're done. It's not like the old days when you'd have to rock up down to the league's club. Wait for all the campaigning and electioneering going on in the oh, all that, all that electioneering with the people with the different tickets that they were running on, so it it made it very uncomfortable to have to get involved in elections back then. You can understand why so few people voted, but the more people that vote, the more we get the wishes of members represented in the election. Now, just remember, Parramatta Leagues Club are the owners of the Parramatta Eels and there are two members of the board of directors who appoint who are appointed to the directors for the Parramatta Eels football club board yep so your vote for the league's club is also critical for the football club and we want to see as many people voting as we can. You should have received emails or letters about the voting. The voting closes by 5 p.m. on Thursday, the 23rd of February. So if you're voting electronically, make sure. Look, just get it done now. So you're not even getting to that day. While you're, you're listening thinking, to the podcast, oh, you can literally just open up a website, punch in the code and do your vote. That's it. That's it. And the only thing that I'm going to say is, well, we obviously we we uh, know the the standing, uh, the incumbents in uh, Darren Adam, Richard Fodor, and Joy Cusack. Uh, there are a couple of other outstanding candidates, but I'm I'm just going to say um, right now, before you vote, know who you're voting for, 
just know if you're looking for if I mean obviously we've got a high opinion of of the incumbents that are there but if you're thinking outside of them really know who you're voting for yeah exactly just inform yourself don't vote blindly um you know knowledge is power in, in this case and yeah just look at all of the candidates uh have a look at their business background and then vote informed that's what you need to do yeah and people that have been to meetings in the past especially uh, some of the, some of the candidates that are there might be familiar to you um in the that were in the battle for um uh, constitutional change um, I'm going to be very careful about what I say here now. All I'll say is, again, just be very informed, as informed as you can, about the background of candidates. Because I think we fought long and hard for the strides that are being made at the league's club and therefore at the football club, and we'd like to see that continue. So, and also a reminder uh, that over the last several years, the club has been running smoothly, uh, has you know steered away from any sort of drama, and has been quite prosperous. So, lots of good happening at the club, but you do have a chance to vote for the future sixties now. Oh, absolutely! And look, people who are familiar with the Cumberland Throw know that we have a relationship with the league's club because we we're there post match doing our um, our podcast live from the league's club. We have a we're we're not hiding our relationship that exists with the leagues club at all. Um, But I'm, I I just want people to vote. As I said, no matter who you vote for, and I'm encouraging you to know who you vote for, but no matter who you vote for, the more people that vote, the more representative it is of the wishes of members. And I can't stress that enough. If you, if you have, only a couple of thousand people voting or, or a thousand people voting, then it's too easy for people to organise friends and relatives and things like that and, and organising like a voting block, almost like tickets yep. that exist on, on there. You know, So just know who you're voting for and please just vote. Just vote. And that's like you what, said... That's, it, it has never been easier, whether it's by mail, in person, or online with the digital login that you get from uh, your email or letter. Uh, all three ways uh, give you so much accessibility that we've never had until that constitutional reform. So no excuse not to get your vote done by 5pm Thursday the 23rd of February. And then I'm not sure how fast the turnaround is on the results 60s, but I, I imagine it'd be pretty quick these days. Yeah, there's the, the uh, general meeting uh, occurs... The uh, the week after that, on Tuesday, the 28th of February, um, up in our stomping ground, mate, Jack's Bar and Grill. Yep, yep, so uh, starting at 7 o'clock. So that will be where you will be able to get the results, hear the results as they are uh, presented uh, with uh, – it's the uh, computer share that are the, uh, the people that conduct – the uh, electronic yeah. voting. So uh, I believe they'll be the ones there that are announcing the uh, the result. The returning officer from Computer Share will uh, announce the result on the evening of the of that meeting. So uh, just remember, it's not the meeting date that's the the close of of voting. 
Okay, so don't don't go confusing the two. Yeah, so don't just the put the twenty third five p.m. the twenty Thursday the twenty third of February for your electronic voting there. If by any chance you have not received either an email or uh, voting instructions via uh, normal mail, please get in touch with the league's club. Let them know. Okay. We want, as as I said, we want as many people voting as possible. Yep, and uh, yeah, that's a good way to wrap that one up. So make sure you get your voting, make sure your your sort of voice is heard in the terms of the future of the club. And yeah, like sixty said, in the end, just vote. You know, make sure that this result is reflective of as much of the constituency as possible when it comes to the PLC. Let's move on, yep. fella, and let's uh, unfortunately retread some very well worn ground. Uh, the RLPA latest as they go to. Loggerheads with the NRL over this uh, collective bargaining agreement. Still nothing has been sorted between the two parties. They're still at odds. There's now talk of strike action ahead of round one. There's talk of patching over NRL insignia sorry, and logos on the official kit. Uh, the, the two parties have not seemed to have uh, broken any common ground when it comes to all those auxiliary demands about uh, insurance, maternity leave, all the sort of uh, non-salary cap support for players in the NRL, NRLW, and surrounds. Uh, I don't know what you're hearing on your end, mate, but it's it's uh, frustrating for fans. It must be frustrating for players too. Uh, but as we are recording here on Friday the 10th of February, uh, we believe that Quentin Newton and company are meeting with the NRL power brokers uh, again uh, with the hope that they can get something done because I know the players do. They sort of Part of their demands was, let's get this fixed ASAP. Um, but, yeah, we have to wait and see what plays out there. What are your thoughts, mate? It's uh, dragged on and dragged on and dragged on. And here we are with the proper trials underway this weekend and also the NRL itself less than a month away and still no CBA. Well, let's hope that we don't get to the point of having anything as drastic as strike action take place because once we get into strike action, I feel that that's where the uh, supporters, NRL supporters, are the ones that start paying the price. Now, I know that there's a consequence, obviously a financial consequence for the NRL were that to take place and there'd probably be a financial consequence for the players as well who may not receive uh, certain parts, uh, percentage of their contract money uh, were strike action to happen. But you can't help but feel that once you get into that, the goodwill of the average fan is lost yeah, and you don't want to tread that path. I'd suggest that neither the RLPA or the NRL would want it to go down that path. I think there's some quite reasonable demands that the uh, RLPA are looking at, which is around the women's game. Uh, they obviously need their protection there because as it stands, it's almost like uh the scenario that prompted the breakaway of rugby league from rugby union over a century ago when there just wasn't the compensation for injury. If you're not yeah. covered by a, a contract, you, if you have an injury and you're out of the game for a period of time, well, you might also be out of work as well, depending on what the injury is, because you're injured on the rugby league field. You're not injured at work. You haven't got workers' comp. Exactly. And hearkening back to our chat with Mary Kay, 
you know, the big sticking points, no multi-year contracts in the, NRL, in the NRLW, so there's very little security for future beyond your current end-of-year uh, contract. Uh, no maternity leave support and no, as you mentioned, 60s, the sort of player liability slash insurance support where if you get injured on the field, you're going to be covered. So, yeah, these these are big sticking points, particularly in the NRLW, but there are some other things too for the, the NRL and other uh, levels around that. But, yeah, we just need to see this get done because, like you said, in the end, the big losers are going to be the fans. If this does, yeah. go, does go forward without any progress the big losers are the most important stakeholders in the game. That's the fans. Yeah, and there's a bit to do there, isn't there, with um, looking after players at the end of their careers. Uh, that's obviously something that, given the short career of NRL players and the career money that's earned by the majority of players. Now, we remember that the average number of NRL games for players is a quite a small number when it's it, like you take out the elite players that have long and extended careers and there's a vast number of players that have a limited a very limited NRL career and that means that the average is it is it something like 20 something games it's like it, it is a shockingly low amount of games because for all the 200 and 300 sort of career gamers you get there are just so many guys that flash in the pan is not the right wording for it, but you know, just between opportunity, injury, uh, the sheer competitiveness of you know entrenched positions in the NRL, uh, yeah, you're seeing somewhere between ten and twenty games for uh, a career average of players. Yeah, it's a really small number, and it and it shows that yeah, a player might they might have that high in their career of getting an NRL debut. And you might only see them for a couple more games out of that. But to get to that point, they've maybe been part of a full-time squad for a number of years. They've maybe been on the on the base salary. Um, it's And when you're doing that, unless you are really taking care of business outside of your football, there's a sacrifice that's made, a sacrifice in, in time. Sometimes it's a sacrifice in... Uh, career, potential careers that they could be taking on in their 20s. They're really throwing it all in to have that NRL career. And if it doesn't work out, obviously, that that's their choice. But um, for those players that are on the bottom end of, of money or those players who come out of their career with maybe some health issues or what have you, I can understand them pushing for being looked after once that career is finished. In some in some respect, yes, indeed. So, like we said, meeting today between the two parties. Hopefully, something can be brokered there. If not, the deal at least progress between getting to a deal. Uh, because, like we said, round one under a month away, sixties. It's uh, kicking off on what the second of March. That's when we're going to be out of para leagues to take on the uh, Melbourne Storm at Combank Stadium. Uh, yeah, we still are nowhere near a new CBA, which is just crazy. Uh, but speaking of deals not getting done just yet, Mitchell Moses fronted the media uh, officially as an eel for the first time in 2023. And of course, they uh, immediately got stuck into him about where he is, what he's doing and what's happening with his contract. And he was uh, quite uh, deflective and non-committal in general. But he did say he would like to get something done before round one. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you know, but bear in mind that 
it's not too often that a you know a top two, top three sort of halfback uh, is in a market situation like this with expansion in the NRL and a whole lot of teams starving for a playmaker. But right now it seems to be down to the Eels and the Tigers. I don't know if uh, a result last night might have swayed his opinion. We'll talk about that shortly, 60s. But, yeah, not too much to talk about with Mitch Moses this week, is there? Mate, we haven't really dived into that at all on TCT during the preseason because what sort of a take can you have? It's been the media coverage has been a, like a roller coaster. One minute he's staying with the Eels, the next minute he's going to the Bulldogs, then he's going to the Tigers, and he's staying at the Eels. The, it's just been you know, up and down as far as, I suppose, if you're talking about the hopes of Eels supporters, what he's going to do. I've seen supporters online express anger towards him for not having it done yet. I've seen anger directed towards his manager, Isaac Moses, for it not being done yet. People saying, oh, if you don't want to stay, just clear off. It's, that's, I, I, I don't get into the emotion of that anymore because you know that there's so much more that goes on in contract negotiations. I mean, look at our chat with Nathan Brown last week when he was just talking about the role of player managers in the modern game for the young kids, equally important for the senior players too. And bear in mind for anyone listening that is frustrated with the Mitchell Moses situation, the way I frame it is that obviously I would like him to sign. You know, he is a core player for the Parameters, if not the most core player we have on the roster right now. But this is also his last big deal in the NRL. This is going to carry him through into well into his 30s when he might be able to get, you know, a one-year contract or a two-year contract elsewhere depending on how fit he still is if injuries haven't caught up to him between now and then. So, of course, he's going to want to try and secure the best deal he can. And that may be frustrating for fans of the blonde gold to sit there and have to watch this play out in the media. And like you said, 60s, one week it's the Dogs, next week it's the Tigers, then it's back to the Eels, then whoever else is next in queue in terms of trying to you know make a story out of it. But yeah, I, I'm not too concerned. I, I'm, you know, I think if he leaves, it'd hurt us, but we're in as good a situation as the club can be to uh, pick up the pieces from that happening between uh, Jake and guys like Ethan Sanders, uh, we also got Josh Lynn coming to the club this year who we've uh, seen in action once and has looked pretty solid. So it's not like the cupboard would be bare, but obviously you want him to stay. Well, obviously, because a couple of the players that you mentioned there, they're still very young. They're running around in SG ball. Exactly. So you don't imagine that if he's leaving at the end of this year that you've got current SG ball players that are ready to step up into first grade next year. So it's. It's one of those things where ideally Mitch Mitch Moses stays. But again, it, where do you draw the line in terms of money? There's nothing that's leaked out from the club in terms of negotiations. But if you go on what the media is talking about, you're talking about the Eels, I think, now sitting up around the 1.3 or 1.4 million dollars a year. The Tigers up around 1.5, 1.6. We're talking about, like, even even with the Eels, it, as soon as we hit a 1.2 million per season, we're talking about some serious money that the club is offering a player. And one of the things that you don't want to do is to destroy your salary cap balance. And I think if you if you had a player who was 
you had to pay one point five or one point six million dollars a year for. That's a there is a significant difference between them and some of the next highest paid players, like a real significant difference. And look, if that's the market price for a player and they get it elsewhere, good on them, like really good on them. Yeah, but I, I agree. That's that's a that is a, a real serious investment, and Parramatta has based their recent success on having great balance across the team, and that balance has been achieved by not having big outliers on the salary cap. Agreed. Yeah, it's a case that the Tigers' offer is too good to refuse. Then you know, congrats to Mitch for becoming the highest paid player in the NRL. Like that—that that is where I'm at in that regard. I'm. I wouldn't, I'd be, like I said, not upset in that, in that regard if he left because I feel like we are positioned in the medium to long term to be able to replace him. But it would, we'd have to take our lumps in the short term, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But who knows? It's, it's, I, I, I guess I've stopped, I've stopped worrying about what's going to transpire there. Yeah, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. If, he, if he stays, he stays. And you've got to think that. Parramatta are in a good position to retain him still. Like, yes, the Tigers yeah. be offering a lot of money, but looking at their roster, where they're at, and and if Mitch is – one thing he did mention in that interview was he would like to win a premiership. If his premiership aspirations are his primary concern, then it sort of makes the Tigers a non-starter in my opinion. Yeah, and let's just say as well, there were a lot of grabs used from that interview that were in that more non-committal uh, aspect of of his responses that the things that were maybe encouraging for eel supporters yeah, were deliberately cut out of the the headlines the bylines the big quotes yeah yeah exactly exactly now what i want to assure eel supporters of that are listening to this right now is that since he's returned to training this is probably the best that i've seen mitch moses in a preseason. It's and I know it's a shortened preseason for him, but there is a real getting stuck into business vibe around both him and Clint Gutherson. Why is it? Is it because of the fact that the losing that grand final last year that that's has really done them? That's where my heart would go to sixties. Where my first my first what would be is that they got literally one win away from the the big you know, title, the Breakthrough Championship, Premiership, whatever you want to call it. And, yeah, so now the fires are burning. Oh, they, they are burning. I'm so used to watching training and hearing the banter fly between uh, Mitch Moses and Clint Gutherson. Um, another target of the banters has departed. Uh, Reed Marnie used to be a bit of target for the banter as well. But I, I'm struggling to think of too much that's gone on in the in the way of bandit like it's been it's probably been the most down to business pre-season that i've seen and again maybe it comes down to the shortness of it for those players that were involved in the rugby league world cup but i've got to think that there is a fire that's burning i think josh hodson has helped with that as well, because he's brought some really strong leadership qualities to the club. And just remember, he was the 
most senior player that was there from the start of the preseason. And he set the tone from day one. Absolutely, absolutely. And as I said, I, I'm seeing the best that I've seen from Mitch Moses in a preseason. I think he's he's echoed some opinions about how he's going in the preseason in a couple of interviews. But I can assure people, I've been really, really impressed with with him and, of course, with Gutho. I mean, Gutho normally looks good with the work that he does with his conditioning and he, he's he's like the role model when it comes to getting yourself fit and ready with your preparation. But I've just, in the post that I've just written in the preseason awards, I've said that Clint Gutherson is the, was the best back out there and I'm talking about in opposed work. So we'll talk about me, that later because that's going to be a good point of conversation um, because there is plenty to unpack there. Your preseason awards are always a fantastic read, 60s. But yeah, uh, it is good to hear that Moses is you know really fired up for the the 2023 run. Well, if he has an intent to leave, he's not he he's not throwing it in. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what. Yeah, he's he's not doing anything by half measures at the moment. It's and were he to leave, were we to get a premiership or another grand final appearance out of the team before he goes, fantastic. My gut reaction is that he's not going anywhere, but we'll we'll maybe talk a little bit about um, maybe we can talk about the the possible destination club now, mate. Because yeah, well, I was going to say you can't talk about the Tigers and not have a cheeky little segue into what happened last night. Uh, the uh, did you read the Brent Reed article last week about no. how they're essentially doubling down on 2005? Everything's 2005. So they've got obviously Benji and Robbie, but also Chris Hinton on the coaching staff, Tim Sheen's in charge. Yeah, I think they did this unironically, but Brent Reed reported that their gym Wi Fi password is 2005. So they're literally drowning in the nostalgia of 2005 here. Uh, imagine if the Eels made their gym password 1986. How much would we cop for it? Jeez. But yes, the, the the Tigers, and bear in mind it was not a full-strength team, but it actually featured more NRL players than you might think, uh, made the trip over to Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland, where they took on, of course, the New Zealand Warriors, and got absolutely pantsed. Uh, when I texted you because you didn't realise the game was on, I said, no, you're watching, you're watching this defend, all defending like Benji. Uh, so, you know, the, the training's paying off. They were what, down 26 now, I think it was? And then it, they, it was. I'd, I'd literally just got home from Eels training. So I hadn't even flicked on the television at that stage. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, I, I was lucky that I, I realised the game was on because I did not expect the Thursday night trial. Uh, but yes, so 26 nil, they hit back of a couple of tries to make it 26-12 before the Warriors just piled on the hurt and made it 48-12 at full-time whistle. Uh, but yeah, looking at this Tigers team, you had guys... Like you'd recognise these guys, Charlie Staines, Asu Kapoa, Tommy Talau, uh, Brandon Wakeham, Stefano Otokamana, who captained the team and scored a try, Jake Simkin, Alex Safaf, uh, in the back row, I think guys like Brandon Tumif, Fanua Pole, and Justin Matamua aren't household names, but they are guys that have been getting first grade caps for the Tigers in the last year or so. Uh, so they certainly didn't have their full strength team out there, but they had more than a reserve grade team out there, and they got absolutely, absolutely towed up by the Warriors. 
I, I guess when you look at something like that, you don't pay too much attention to trial results, but the process. I pay yeah. attention. I pay attention there to things like defensive attitude, and I, I don't think we should repeat what your uh, text message said to me about their defensive attitude. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't quality from uh, the defensive attitude of the Tigers there. Uh, for the Warriors, though, Luke Metcalf, they picked up from Cronulla, I believe, looked very sharp. So you might be adding a, a new factor to their halves permutations right there. But, yeah, the Warriors looked good. And they're under Webster, right, the Penrith assistant coach that got a lot less hype than uh, the one that ended up at the Bulldogs. Uh, but he might be the better of the two, maybe. What I thought was interesting was that there was maybe a bit more attacking structure Mm. to what they were doing. It was, there was some really good tries that they scored uh, that came from the work of Metcalf and and players essentially filling their role in uh, in shifts, just straightforward shifts that were taking the Tigers' defence apart. And I thought to myself, we've always known that the Warriors are good with their unstructured play. Or they can be dangerous. Or maybe I won't say good. They can be extremely dangerous with their unstructured play. It's something they've been renowned for over many years. But I liked some of the structure that they were playing with. So whether they're able to transfer that into the premiership when they maybe have a different halves pairing uh, players that are in that come into the team that weren't there before. They've got our old Eel Murata's over there. What role he ends up playing, I don't know. Uh, interesting to see Moala Graham Taufa, who spent a year with Parramatta last year, mostly in the jersey flag, but he'd previously played for the Roosters and had one NRL game to his credit, which they referenced last night. But a lot of people probably won't be familiar with the fact, unless they were following our blogs last year, our jersey flag blogs, that Moala Graham Taufa was running around for the Eels. Yes, in uh, 2022. But, um, yeah, it's probably the embarrassment of that sort of scoreline, the defensive attitude. You're not going to come out of that and be happy because, as you said, there are a lot of players in there that are genuine fringe players. And when I say genuine fringe players, I mean players that you can expect will get a run in the NRL this year. And... They were playing against a team with a similar lineup, fringe NRL players, and got towed up. So maybe the indication is that the Warriors' depth players are a bit better than the Tigers' depth players. I don't know if we could take too much more than that. No, but... yeah, like, as much as you mean about other teams, good or bad, you know, like you said, a trial is a trial. So the results you're not going to read too much into. But for the Tigers, this was. I suppose, a chance to start anew, to really set the tone for 2023 being a different year from the get-go. And they just sort of, they missed that hurdle first up. Maybe if we go back and have a look at their trial results in 2005. Well, they got they got a standing applause, didn't they, uh, a couple of years ago for telling up Manly in a trial, I think. And that didn't work out too well for them. So, I don't know, maybe there's a happy medium there for the West Tigers. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to some nice new 60s. Uh, there was a, a very good read this week uh, in regards to a surprising relationship that developed well before one player was an eel for an injured eel in Hayes Dunster. 
who obviously, as we all know, blew out his knee in that trial. In the corresponding trial, it was the, the first trial of 2022 against the Dragons, uh, where Tyrell Fumayana did the hip drop tackle on him and unfortunately just ruptured everything in the knee. Um, and it put Hayes out and until pretty much now, right? Uh, but Josh Hodgson at that time reached out to him, uh, a man that was familiar with knee injuries aplenty and helped guide him through the rehabilitation process and Hodgson was obviously go on to become an eel. Uh, but re- making that read there, 60s, it sort of just enhanced what you sort of uh, laid out in your weekly training reports or your, your bi-weekly training reports about Hodgson's leadership capabilities and abilities uh, and why he is such a huge deal for the Bourne Gold now that he's part of our team. I, if I was to continue my praise for Josh Hodson, it's going to start to sound so repetitive for people that have been reading the training blogs. I am struggling to think of a recruit that I've been more impressed with than Josh Hodson. We've had some recruits who've had fine pre-seasons, most recently Ice. Yep. Um, even this preseason with uh, Jermaine Hopgood, who's who's had an outstanding preseason, but Josh Hodgson, there is he's a for a start, he's a student of the game. We know that we know his passion for rugby league. He look, he's just had that game face on since the first day of preseason he's he assumed the leadership mantle in a young group amongst a young group of players from day one from day one he was gathering players around him and instructing them I had one of the Parramatta coaches saying to me he is like say to me he is like having another coach coach out there the big thing for me when you were talking about stuff he's in the training was in that coaching, like if he was running shapes around dummy half and a player was getting the angles wrong, he would just bring him inside, get him just to work the angle again and just make sure they're both in sync. Just little things like that, that the attention to detail is how you win games in the big moments. Having your guys just make that fractionally different line is how you're going to either bust a gap or set up something. And that's where it seems to be a big part of his game is that attention to detail. And I know it's old school, but look, I very rarely saw him make errors at training, but whenever he did, he dropped to the ground push-ups. and do push-ups. Yep. Like he'd, he'd straight away, um, it was reflective of his own training. And then he'd just get straight back into action. He'd drop down push-ups straight back into the action. And it was uh, – so we're obviously talking about drills rather than opposed work yes. there. But he's not letting the team down defensively <laughs> while he's doing push-ups or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, look, it, it's it's interesting that – and also there were, there were times when they were doing particular drills where he'd ask a question about – what he should be doing like he wasn't he didn't come in there like i know everything and i'm going to tell you all how to do it he would be asking questions as well to learn the ways that is the Parramatta way of doing things as well so i 
he didn't arrive. Like people might take this as he's turned up and he's immediately gone, well, I'm the leader here and I'm going to tell everyone how to play and this and that. No, he he was as much a, a listener as well when the coaches were delivering instructions about the, the drills or the different techniques that were being used for things. But when there were times that he needed to speak to the group, he took that on. And it was just, look, as I said, I just can't recall in recent times seeing someone who has impressed me as much during a pre-season. And I guess that has to do with the, such a key role that he plays. The Eels, for the Eels to lose someone in the spine like Reed Marnie, they needed to fill that role. Yes. And I'm I'm just saying that they might have they might have got a senior player, someone towards the end of his career. But in Hodgson, I really see that they've made an investment in the future because I think there are going to be so many players that learn from him this year that it's going to carry us and and and, and obviously next year because his contract's a two year deal. It, they're going to learn so much from his presence, not just on the field but at training, around training. It's going to pay dividends for the Eels going forward. And well, I'd, li- I'd like to think that whoever follows on from him as the dummy half at the Eels is going to be better for him being there at the club. I mean, and he's certainly a player that you would give strong consideration to uh, when he does finish up that two-year deal, maybe staying off the club if possible. Uh, I think I think it would be crazy if that hasn't already been something that – the club's power brokers have spoken about. Because, yeah, if coaches are saying he is like another coach as a player, uh, that, that is one of the highest levels of like praise you can give to a, a senior player, isn't it, in regards to their ability to lead the team. So, yeah, very, very keen to see what Hodjo can do because, really, the only limiting factor is going to be injury. And that, that is something we've spoken about at length. I know we repeat it all the time. But if he stays healthy, there is every chance that he will go as deep or maybe even one deeper than they did in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Uh, well, yeah, that started with, uh, you know, the Hodgson outreach to Hayes Dunster. Um, Hayes sort of, uh, we'll talk about him later because he's going to be in the NRL trial list. Uh, but let's get to junior rep previews. We'll then do your preseason awards. Then we'll do the NRL trials to wrap up the podcast this week, 60s. So round two of the junior reps is upon us. First home game for the Blue and Gold is going to be out at Kellyville out at Eels HQ, which is going to be great to see. The grass was looking pretty good out there when I was out there last. I know they had to patch up a few things here and there, but it's going to be nice to be at home, especially for you after making that Central Coast road trip, mate. Uh, all three grades there. Uh, Eels taking on Manly in Natasha Gale. And then, give me one sec here. West uh, Tigers. West Tigers. Balmain, sorry. The, yeah. yeah, the Balmain yeah. Tigers, because they're not the joint venture in different grades, depending on uh, whether it's Cup, Junior Reps, or Flag. Uh, but yeah, taking on the Balmain Tigers in the mats and the ball. It does kick off with the Tasha Gale against Manly. So let's go through that team list there. Eels beaten by the Indigenous Academy, the Roosters Indigenous Academy in round 160s, looking for a bounce back win, which would uh, actually echo uh, 2022, wouldn't it? Because they had the first up loss against the Academy and then went on a great run to get through to the finals. But looking at this team, captain the team or co-captain the team at fullback, you got Debbie Dwahi. Uh, on the wings, you got the two Bells, Alicia and Haley, but no relation there. In the centres, Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui. 
Charlotte Hawthorne and Talara Bamboot uh, in the playmaking spot six and seven, which I believe is an unchanged back line from round one. Uh, you got Layla Dimmick and Kanye Marumulu at prop. Ashley Pottinger, the other co-captain, she's playing dummy half. Khaleesi Mahe, Kiana Lakeni, and Makaya Darcy, the left, right, and lock forward uh, back rowers, respectively. On the bench, Casey Q, Amela Akawala Lala, Nella Lima, Layla Black, Bella Sanford, Mesha Fretton, and Siola uh, Lavo Vave. So I forgot that wrong there. Uh, so extended roster here for the Eels. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players. So four, four play bench and then a three player shadow bench there. They kick off at, I believe, is it 10 30? No, I think it's, isn't it 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock flat. Let me quickly check that because, uh, I mean, it's going to be important for us because we've got to be out there. So make sure we get this right. Uh, the Tasha Gale. Down here, Harvey Norman's Tasha Gower is 10 o'clock flat. You're right. So they're taking on the Seagulls. That's, a, as we were talking about before, their first year. They're an expansion team in Tasha Gower. So That's right. And they got a win first, first up. First up too. win. So who'd they play last week? Uh, it was the Tigers. The Tigers. Okay. So, yeah, what a great way for Manly to start. Hopefully it gets worse this week, though, uh, <laughs> as they, they take on the Eels. Uh, and for our girls... You know, they, they do want to get that first win, gain a bit of momentum, because as we always talk about with the junior rep 60s, it's a nine-week campaign, a nine-game campaign, or eight games if you get the bye. Uh, so the margin for error is so razor-thin in here. We've seen with uh, good teams for the Eels, or you know, not necessarily great, but good teams in the mats and ball in years gone by, that they've missed the finals by you know either for and against or a single game. So you, you want to minimise your trip-ups, minimise your mistakes, and, you know, grind out ugly wins when you have to so you have a chance to get into form in the back end of the season. Yeah, and even last year with the Harold Mats, they, in losing their opening game, they were then battling yeah. for the rest of the season. Yeah. It was, and it was it was a really tough call because it's only a top six in the... Uh, junior reps now. In those junior reps. So I don't think that's changed this year. So if you drop one or two games at the start, as you say, that margin for error is minimal. And depending on how the draw works out, you can be uh, going on a run after that and still miss out on the finals. Mm. Last year, you just hinted at it then, the Eels went on the run after losing, in the Tasha Gale after losing that opening round, but then won every game from then on and went through to the... Uh, preliminary final because they had the first week off as fin- for finishing in the top two. Yes. The Eels and the Roosters were uh, top two there. And unfortunately, I thought cop some rough decisions in, the, yeah, in the, their final. I know, I know we harp on it about a lot, but that lost Newcastle was certainly uh, dogged by some very rough course. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll call it a game that got away. We'll, We'll say the girls did spend a bit of time having to look at their own performance, but I thought that they were the better team on the day. The result doesn't show that. But, uh, yeah, so just moving back to last week, the Roosters were as good as I thought they were going to be, and they started off the game on fire last week. The Eels didn't touch the ball for the first 10 minutes, like apart from kicking off. You're not not winning games when that happens. We've we've seen... all the big NRL buyouts where it's like 50, 60 points almost always have that opening window where one team just dominates possession and the other team gets gassed out of the game on defense and momentum. And it's true for the junior reps too. Yeah. 
Now, I can't blog like you can blog, mate, but there was passages of play there where the Roosters weren't scoring, but just their ability to get the second phase football happening, the way they were backing up, it was there was some really quality football right there at the start. Now, credit to the girls because they managed to stop that flow of first half points in that first 10 minutes. So from there, it was a little bit more of an arm wrestle. The, there was always the threat from the Roosters that they were going to score again, but the girls just kept scrambling and hanging on and hanging on. And the Eels were the ones to get the last score of the first half where a couple of good offloads uh, from Alicia Bell and Debbie Dwahi, which uh, provided the, the ball for Caitlin Peden to get over in the corner. But if not for that second phase play, it was, well, I, I shouldn't say if not for that, but I mean that second phase play was really critical in getting across. But the Eels had, had really started to get a bit of momentum and a bit of territory in the lead up to that try. And I thought at that stage, you know what? Maybe they're not, maybe they mightn't get the win, but I thought to myself, this second half could be interesting because they, they just stopped a little bit of that rhythm that the Roosters had. But I'll tell you what, halftime, all that did was it gave the Roosters a chance to reset. And they came out in the second half exactly like they did in the first half. It, it was it was almost like pushing the replay button of how they were carrying the ball into contact, their support play, the pace at which they played, and we really didn't get a look in during that second half. And it was it was all roosters. You don't you don't like to pump up a defeat, but in a way restricting a team that good to a twenty four to four scoreline with the amount of possession that they had uh, is a, a very minor win in and of itself. So it speaks to the fact that the girls didn't roll over defensively and there is something to work with there. Yeah, it's it's one of those games where you go, you know what, the Roosters have always been a top team. They've started off the season in that sort of form. We can take that loss and hopefully take some positives out of the effort plays that the girls were able to put in in that game to stay in the contest. But they really have to take that next step forward this week against the Seagulls because the Seagulls would be on a high. That was their first yeah, game. Emotionally they got a win. supercharged, yeah. Yeah, and they got a win against a team that played finals football last year. Yep, and the West Tigers, yes. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, speaking of our eyes not deceiving us, their 60s, uh, we, we caught it after our preseason trial against the Bulldogs, but they had the biggest win of round one, 50 points to four over the Dragons, who are not a terrible... Uh, pathways program in the Tasha Gale Eva. So it looks like the dogs have done a sensational job putting together their Tasha Gale squad for 2023. They certainly are. And when you think that in the early years of Tasha Gale, the Bulldogs were perennial wooden spooners. Yeah. In yeah. Tasha Gale. Yep. And they, I mean, we our, our takes on that trial were, this is, this is a real serious football team. And to put on those that fifty odd points against the Dragons, uh, <laughs> obviously the it, the trial form was no fluke, as we didn't think it would be. Yeah. You don't, you didn't play the type of football that they played as a fluke. It was just the combinations were too good, the the power in the running, the relentless 
pace that they played at. It just it, that, it spoke to a very uh, both a talented and well drilled team, didn't it? It did. It did. As I think I said to you at the time, if they if they had a like a six month preseason because they looked like they'd been playing together forever. Yep. So now whether there's a team within the Bulldogs district that a lot of these girls come from and they're and they're used to each other's play. I we don't know enough about the background of the team, but they certainly were very well drilled and no surprise to see them getting a big win and to create an impression first up. But let's just get this manly game done and uh and and get points on the board this week. Yes indeed. And the Tasha Gower will be followed up by the Harold Matthews. The Eels in the Mats losing last week as well. By far and away their own worst enemy, 60s. I know you wrote about this, but yeah, mistakes got in the way of themselves and a win over the Roosters. They'll be looking to bounce back and get their first win of the season. This one will kick off at 11.30 a.m. as they take on the Tigers out at Kellyville. Uh, I think there's a couple of changes in this team, but some of them are also cosmetic in the sense that these were players that were not named to start last week, but I think they did play in these positions. So at fullback, you've got Corey Lee, Corey Lay, uh, Don Ferruja and Larima Rokasuka on the wings. Jack Nicholas, I don't think he was named to start in the centres last week, but he did play there. Uh, he'll partner Josh Patrick uh, in the halves. Lincoln Fletcher and Lorenzo Talatina. Front row, Mikhail Tito and Jordan Uta, who shifts from edge to middle. Uh, Zaitis uh, Mwanga Tutia is the dummy half. Uh, captain of the team on the edge is Josiah Funaluta, who will be working opposite of Anthony Abdo on the other edge. Tyson Sangalang is the lock forward. On the bench, Lachlan Kornakis, Mark Williams, Cyrus Kawatai, Tolafoa, uh, Mason Ong, and Lucius Muliaga. So, yeah, a couple of guys getting shifted around, a couple of guys uh, named in spots that would that would otherwise have been named in uh, with the late changes. This isn't a team short on talent, 60s. It just maybe needs a little bit more discipline when it comes to executing. Mate, they were easily, easily a 12 to 18 point better team than the Roosters last week. And that's going to sound ridiculous when you look at the scoreline, but Roosters were given four tries that they really should not have scored because they've just come up as the direct result of Eels' errors in attack. And there was there was the try that came on a play of the ball after a, an 80-metre intercept, there was another intercept with two minutes to go in the first half, and the, the Eels were leading, I think, 10-4 at that stage and should have probably been up 22-4 with the opportunities that they had and would have been a better reflection of the first half. But they're leading 10-4. They're five metres. They've had back-to-back sets. They're five metres out from the line. They throw a ball that finds the rooster's hands rather than theirs, they then double down by giving a penalty away two tackles later and the ball gets thrown to Zach Fittler on the 20-metre line once the Roosters were down there. There's nothing on. He puts on a step, beats about two or three players with his step and it was a very much a Brad Fittler step and then he carries about three of them over the line literally as the halftime siren sounds. Absolute, yeah, just a gut punch there, isn't it? Oh, and, and right next to the post. So yeah. we end up with the 10 all scoreline. Yep. And they're coming off at half time, and you're thinking to yourself, how is this an even scoreline on that first half? Like, how is it possible? They've literally, in 
the Roosters two tries, they've gone the length of the field in a couple of plays. One obviously off the directly off the intercept, the other one a penalty following an intercept. And oh, I've never seen a game that was well, yeah, I've, I probably have, but it was one <laughs> you've of watched the, a, You've watched one, a lot of junior like, rep sixties. You've definitely seen a game like that. <laughs> but but just seeing the lost opportunities and the and the chances that were presented to the opposition like that, as I said, they were easily twelve to eighteen points better. The Roosters, Fitler was probably the most dangerous player on the field, and he was named at lock. And he was pretty much playing in a five-eight position when you'd see them in attack. Yeah, he, he was standing. He he wasn't lurking around the middle. He was standing wide of the ruck quite often. And then the the play that he put on, not just the one that he scored himself, but the play that he put on for the second row. I can't remember the second row's name, but he was probably their second best player out there. But he dug right to the line, delivered this perfect pass to the second rower, who hit the hole. And this is off a this is a scrum play, and you just go like watching him. He he was seriously a clone of his father walking around the field. He just had that strut. Cameron McKenzie, I think, might be the player you're talking about there. He yeah, was, he yeah. A, ended up scoring a double in this game from the back row. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He had a very good game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'm overestimating what Fitler did because there's. It was almost like he'd he'd select times to have a bit of a rest, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. In order to maximise other players, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a big unit. He is. Uh, I've seen him a couple of times. I saw him last year, obviously, and he was as a year young. And Matts was like shockingly large. Like he was a very well developed young man, and uh, you know, obviously, we rub shoulders with some of the. You know, coaches and talent evaluators that you know a lot of other people can't. And Fitler is a name, regardless of being the Eels playing this that particular week. He's a name that's come up a few times as like one that is legitimately a player to watch the future. Like it's not just a surname. This guy's got something. So no surprise to hear that he started against the Eels last week. Uh, but yeah, for Parramatta this week, sixties, it's about getting back to business. So they've named a you know a few. I'm I'm not even sure if there's changes per se because it's just guys being in the spots they were otherwise, you know, named that in late mail. But I like Jordan Uta coming back to the middle. Oh, one one out that we haven't mentioned is Ocean Vivello, who I'm not sure if he's injured or suspended. Uh, but because uh, there was, I think Han was saying to me, there might have been a crush or tackle charge against him in the game. Yeah, I, I do remember a player being put on report, so that could very well have been the yeah. issue. So, I, look, the, the thing is, too, they're coming up against the Tigers team. Well, both Tigers teams in the the mats and the ball were dished up by the Sharks. So I'm not sure how how to read those results. Whether to whether the Sharks are strong teams and and deserve the win through just being that that superior to the yeah. Tigers, or whether the Tigers are going to struggle in this grade, but. As we said before, the Mats have to get it done this week. They can't afford to start the season with two losses. Based on their best play last week, they they get the job done. But if completions are down on what they were last, you know, compared to what they are were last week, if they're down in the same realm, 
they're going to make the job hard for oh, themselves. Oh, yeah, exactly. And we saw it last year, uh, you know, yeah. in, in the Mats and SG Ball. Uh, the Mats would go on to play finals football where they were dusted up by the Sharks. But in their sort of funk the start of the season, just the self-inflicted wounds, they're so debilitating and so frustrating for not just the fans, but the players themselves. You can see the boys getting rolled up at themselves when they're, they're doing this stuff. So if they can just get back and, and streamline their gameplay, I think they've got a chance to post a good result against the Tigers. And of course, the day rounds out with the SG Ball 60s who are also taking on the Balmain Tigers. Uh, this one kicking off at 1 o'clock p.m. also at Kellyville Park. What a shock when you have a you know a trio of games at Kellyville. The third one is also there. But uh, Eels in this grade, they were the only vic- uh, victorious team last week. They played uh, a relatively high-scoring game against the Sydney Roosters that was a bit seesawing. Uh, Roosters probably had a couple of fortuitous tries when it came to calls and no calls. That made the game a little bit closer than it could have been. Cody Parry bagged the double hattie. Uh, and now going into this game, I'm not sure if there's any changes. There is one change off the top uh, that I remember, so we'll go for it now. Uh, at fullback, you got Upper Twiddle, Cody Parry, and Muhammad Alamadine, also a try scorer last week. They're on the flanks. Richard Penasini and Devontae Vivella in the centres. Ethan Sanders, Josh Wynn round out what I believe is an unchanged backline. Uh, in the front row, you've got the fearsome pairing of Sam Torvardi and Lance Forlima. They're both excellent against the Roosters. Uh, Matt Arthur or Woods, he'll be at dummy half. Uh, the first change that I, I note is uh, Saxon Pryke. He comes into the back row. So I'm not sure if he was nicked up last week, but Saxon, he was outstanding in the SG ball last year. He's a player that we project to play Jersey Flag this year, 60s, given that he finished the season last year in the uh, 21s. So him coming back is a big boost to the team on the edge. Uh, William Lewis, he's going to be on the other edge. Captain of the team at lock forward is Charlie Geimer. Pat Spence is the dummy half utility on the bench. Sebastian Piocala, LeBron Tuala. And uh, Tom Destrada is very unlucky to get bumped back to the bench from starting back row 60s. But if there was a player that was going to do it, it would be Saxon Pryke, given the, the caliber of talent that he is. Uh, but Dom also probably a victim of his own versatility. He can play back row, he can play dummy half, he can throw him into the back line. So he is almost like the perfect bench weapon to have in this grade. Uh, his twin brother, Raf is 18th man. Sam Squire, the second shadowy player in number 19. And they're taking on the Balmain Tigers. I'm not sure if there's anyone I really recognize in that team with 60s. Uh, so a quick look. Josh Felody, who transferred from Manly to the Tigers, he also played in the trial last night, I believe. Had a little bit of time there. He's captain of the team in the centres. He was very good for Manly last year when we played them uh, in round one, I think it was. Or was it the year before? I'm thinking of Harold Matthews, maybe. Uh, maybe that was two years ago. Uh, but aside from that, not too many people I've recognised in this team. Yeah, it, I think... There's a couple of uh, players well worth uh, mentioning there. You, you spoke about Saxon Pryke. He was really good when he was, uh, like, through the SG Ball season last year, but then when he was elevated right at the end of the season to Jersey Flegg, he did he did really, really well. Very quickly found his he, feet, yeah. Yeah, the left side attack for the Eels last week, any time the ball went there with purpose... It was it was try on, it really was. Um, and to clarify, it, that's Richard Penasini and Cody Parry, right? Yes, yeah. So it was. Oh, look, there was some good work inside that. I thought that uh, Twiddle at fullback, he injected himself perfectly into those plays, and uh, Richard Penasini, he he did like his service to Cody Parry. It couldn't have been better. Uh, not that, not that 
Cody Parry didn't have work to do in those tries. Uh, there was uh, one of them in particular. There was, well, there was one with the big dive into the corner to get across. There was another where he had to, he put a great in and away on the fullback to get across. So he would have featured very highly in the uh, player of the match talk uh, uh, after the game. Obviously, um, the the other player that I thought did really well, you mentioned before, Dom Destratus. He, quite unfortunate to be dropped back to the bench this week because he was one of the better performers in the pack. And uh, Matt Arthur, Budzi Arthur, it was his 18th birthday last week. On the Saturday, he managed to celebrate with a try from dummy half. And there was that footage posted of the boys cheering him on in the, the locker room after. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very good. Uh, performance from him, which is not unexpected. Again, they won by six points, and I can't help but feeling they were also a 12 to 18 yep. point better team than the Roosters. You weren't, and, you weren't alone in that evaluation because I think Ham had the same uh, sort of a thought process there that we were a far better team in terms of on field play, but the scoreline didn't necessarily reflect it. It was as if every time we threatened to kick away, there'd be a part of our play that we just weren't tight enough in or didn't execute well enough and just invited them back into the game. And I think uh, from memory, when we were up before half time, and I think there was maybe about six minutes to go in the half or something like that, and we turned over possession after the kickoff. And as soon as that happened, it, allowed the Roosters to get two tries before the halftime break and put a different complexion on the game. We were in total control. And if you don't complete that set after the kickoff, well, what's going to happen? And it seemed to be that both teams were guilty of that on the day. And I have to admit, as someone who was trying to blog the game, it was... It was driving me crazy because I was trying to keep up. I was trying to keep up from the try being scored, and quite often, I'm still typing up the scoring play as they're moving in for the kickoff, and I'm looking up just to make sure I don't miss anything. And sure enough, there's a drop from the kickoff, or either from the kickoff itself, or from the um, or from two plays late, one or two plays later, and it would instigate almost an immediate try in retaliation and as I said I was that far behind on the plays and trying to keep up with what was going on it was I I was quite furious actually with with both teams from that regard it was frustrating beyond belief and some of what we saw from kickoffs uh now I'm thinking it was the I'm thinking it was this great I don't think it was a the um the the Harold Matts, but one of the Roosters players caught the ball and just threw the worst forward pass after catching the ball <laughs> from the kickoff. It was, I mean, it was ludicrous. Um, yeah, there just wasn't, you could tell, I guess, that it was the opening game of the season yeah. in some respects. And I'm expecting Parramatta to tighten up quite a bit. I think they will win against the Tigers and win well. I'll just say that because there, there are too many players out there that are destined to play in higher grades for the Eels. Now I'm not I'm not gonna go over the Yeah, you're not, you're not coronating. Got, 
yeah. NRL players, I'm saying will play higher grades. They will play Jersey flag. They'll play at least New South Wales Cup. This there. We we we, did, we have touched on this, but this does feel like one of the better SG ball squads in in several seasons now. There's a good sprinkling of talent across multiple positional groups, backline forwards, halves, uh, which you know obviously is good for NRL projections, but just great for the team. Um, you know, and I I really circle back to that front row, that triumvirate of Tuavadi, Arthur, and Four Lima. They're such a a great set of tone setters, uh, and you know off the bench, obviously you got guys like Dom now, uh, who brings both uh, energy and you know utility. Uh, big LeBron Tuolo is going to get better as the season goes on as he gets the meters and minutes into his legs. Yeah, this, this is a well-put-together team, and I hope that they can go deep into the finals this season. And let's not forget Charlie Geimer at lock. Well, and we, we have to speak about this. Charlie is going to be one of the core stories to cover this year because this is a guy going from 5'8 to center to lock. So he brings a very unique skill set in an era of NRL play where the ball-playing lock is on the resurgence. So if, if he can just you know, nail down some of the finer details when it comes to playing in the middle. And a lot of that comes down to defensive workload and making the right decisions there, which is literally just a, a case of getting games under your belt. Then, yeah, he, he could be a very, very interesting prospect to watch in that capacity. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to watching that. My reminder to people who are going out there is make sure you bring a fold-out chair, especially if you're going for all three grades, because... Seating, the Kelly Fields are, are still in a what you'd term a primitive condition in that there is just a hill there and there isn't any spectator seating. Uh, make sure you've got the hat and sunscreen. Yes, yes, there is no sun if, coverage. If we have the, the sort of weather predicted that is being expected. There is also minimal shade yeah. there. So you, you, want, you want to have the hat. You want to do the slip-slop slap. You want to have the fold-out chair. You want to have something to drink and uh, enjoy the football that's being played. But don't put yourself in a situation where you are going to be there for an extended period without you know, doing all the necessary summer things that we have to do in Australia. Yes, indeed. And we'll be out there covering all three games live on TCT, uh, which will keep us very, very busy. Uh, and before we get to the main event on Saturday 60s, which is, of course, is the NRL trial. Um, and is it just the NRL trial? Were we meant to play Flag and Cup this week? There is. Yeah, there is a game. Now, it's. I'm hearing that the weather could be a, be a big part of the call about this game because there is a, let's call it a inverted commas, lower grade clash. I'm pretty sure that it's. it might have been termed as a reserve-grade game, but it's a. I think Parramatta will be fielding a, a collection of Jersey flag players and a few uh, players who are fringe... Second-tier. ...New South Wales yeah. Cup sort of players, uh, ones that might be called on for New South Wales Cup during the season. So it's a lot of young players that will be running around. So I believe they might be due to kick off. It might be around 3.30 or 4. I haven't got an exact time on that. But if the weather's going to be around 37 degrees out at Penrith at that, yeah. at that time, maybe they, there might be some thoughts about, about whether that goes ahead or not. I would speak... I would, rely on getting updates 
maybe on websites in the lead up to that. So if we find anything out, we'll obviously hit it up on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but yeah, that that is very much play it by ear. Um, so yeah, it makes it very hard to plan around too. Obviously, it does. It does. I, I was uh, watching the. I went and had a look for a few minutes at the Jersey flag training that was taking place last night. They were in preparation for the game to go ahead. Um, so, but as I said, the you know once you start talking about those sort of temperatures. If it's a trial and if it's not necessary, I think they'll make yeah play it. They'll they'll play it by ear exactly. and maybe make calls. So there's welfare uh, decisions to be made and, and like the questioning the actual value of playing in those conditions in general for trying to get because trials are about getting results predictive towards a you know regular season outcome right. And if you're playing yeah, in, if you're playing in near forty degree temperatures, you're not getting something that's going to really help you. Sorry, help you make decisions one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, if we hear anything, we'll put it on our socials. But if not, we'll, uh, you know, we'll. I'd just say keep a, keep an eye on uh, websites on um, any updates that come from either the Panthers or the Eels about that about the match day schedule. Yes, indeed. And before we get to the NRL trial itself, which kicks off around six o'clock, uh, let's talk about your preseason awards very quickly because it really sets the table for this game given that there's a lot of players on your list of re- uh, reward recipients, sorry, also featuring in the game. Uh, I'll run through the winners. You talk to me about them, 60s, uh, and give us a, a little uh, run through of each of them, uh, some familiar faces, some new ones. Well, let's, 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 let's just give them a taste so they still get onto the, onto the post. Yeah, so. true, true. So, uh, <laughs> obviously crowning the preseason overall gong to no one's surprise given how much we've waxed lyrical about him and how he has dominated your preseason training reports. The Mark Laurie best in preseason trophy goes to none other than Josh Hodgson. Uh, yeah. What, what more? I, is... I, had to put, I had to put the photo. That, yeah, that the, the, photo the jacked up picture, which he, he apparently copped a bit about because he's like, I am not that, I am not that big. Uh, everyone was making fun of me for it. But obviously when you, you catch someone right in that moment as you're flexing for the past, the, uh, the muscles are popping out. And I think he might be underselling himself a bit too because he is a very fit man. Uh, but what more can you say, 60s? He came in day one, took control of the team, set the tone. Uh, it was an understrength preseason squad because of the Rugby League World Cup, but Josh Hodgson put the standards sky high. Uh, he has excelled in every capacity. He has been perhaps the most single most outstanding recruit you've seen in a long time of covering training officially and unofficially before you were actually doing the reports you know, whether it was uh, TCT or before that on other platforms, he is beyond the gold standard, isn't he? That was the easiest selection for me to make. The absolute easiest selection for me to make. Um, if there was, if there was one player that inspired my enthusiasm for the coming season, it would be him. And I am struggling. I, I guess if I go all the way back to 2016, before Kieran Foran joined the club, but when when he'd actually signed, I was excited about his arrival at the club because I thought he was going to be the difference maker. And um, it really didn't carry on into the preseason because he missed chunks of the preseason with... Uh, getting over injuries and what have you, and um, and it just sort of 
we know well i don't have to go back into what ended up happening with kieran four and but i i couldn't carry that excitement because i didn't really get to see too much of him in the preseason so um yeah, but if we can jump forward now, I'm going to jump a couple of awards at yeah, a time. Yeah, no, so. you, you can dictate the base. Yeah, um, the Daniel Wagon Most Improved Medal, I gave that to Dan Keir. Who, now, who joined the Eels last season by way of Mounties, right? That's right. So he was one of the he, – he really made an impression straight up when the preseason began – because he just arrived in outstanding shape, his his work in all the drills, in the little bits of a pose that they were doing back then, was top notch. Last year, he was often one of the go to players if they were running a uh, through the season if they were running a, a drill, and they wanted someone to come in and and be one of the players opposing whatever they were working on. Uh, BA had often called Dan Keir over. Now, Dan didn't get too much time in New South Wales Cup last year. I think there was a bit of injury. Yeah. Um, and there was also a lot of uh, players that were available through the uh, in the forwards. So he just didn't get the opportunity. So I'm hoping that he gets that opportunity again. Um, he's got, he's got, I mean, he's, he's a big, tall, powerful back rower. And, and in the games we did see last year, he had some good, good moments. So. If he's come, you know, into twenty twenty three as fit and as uh, fired up as your reports would indicate, he's definitely a player to keep an eye on in the New South Wales Cup. Yeah, uh, and the other the other award that I'm going to mention today, and and I'll wrap it up with this one, is the uh, breakout player award. So those that the player that I think is going to have a breakout season, I couldn't separate Jack Murchie and Sean Russell. Now, from the point of view of Jack Murchie, when he arrived, I thought, oh, you're a little bit, you're just a, you're slightly off the pace conditioning-wise. And then within a week, he was like right up the top of the pace. He just came to hand very, very quickly. And from there, his work in the drills that they'd be running in the opposed sessions. I just thought to myself, this is a damn good middle forward. I know a lot of people thought that he was going to play back row. Because he played edge for the Warriors last year. Yeah, but I was seeing him in opposed in the middle and I just thought. Oh, well, and that's the beauty too, is that we have him penciled in on the bench, right? Which means that yep. he'd be primarily used in the middle rotation, but you do have the flexibility to put him on an edge when needed. And he has obviously a host of experience there. So he's going to be a, a really nice acquisition for the Eels in that capacity. And obviously the other player you got there, Sean Russell, a player that we've been very high on for a long time, had some bad luck of injuries. We we, we talk about that Jaden Campbell knee slide a lot, but he's filled in across the back line, the preseason centre wing, gets a start at fullback as a little spoiler for the team sheet against the Panthers. Uh, but you've got him penciled in for round one, having your 60s. I have, and... I look. I think it comes down to there's that article about Hayes Dunster. I think referenced a medical clearance that he was looking for. That was, I think, maybe going to come up next week. Um, anyway, I think there. I, I don't know when he when Hayes is going to make his first appearance. I don't know whether he's going to 
appear in the last trial and then that means I don't know whether he gets a chance to play in the opening round in the NRL. Now, if he doesn't play, and and I think critical to this is going to be Wonga Blake as well, whether Wonga gets to play in the last so trial. How is that racing? Well, I say racing, but he should be projected to return from that broken arm. Yeah, so um, we've got then that selection dilemma with uh, around uh, who gets the center spot. If Wonga Blake gets the center spot, then I'm expecting Sean Russell to maybe get the wing spot because he's obviously been able to do more preseason than Hayes was able to do because Hayes was doing rehab for probably half the preseason. Correct. Um, so, but Hayes has looked pretty good in the opposed work. Um, he doesn't look far off the mark if he is called upon. I Yeah, I just think uh, Sean's got that capacity to cover a number of positions. I think when he gets a start in first grade, provided he doesn't get those injuries, I think he'd be hard to unseat yeah. for first grade I spot. I mean, three tries in 40 minutes against the Titans, and then you know he spent the rest of the season recovering from that injury. Like I said, a player we've been very high on for a long time. Part of that cadre of Rousey or Rhinos alongside Jake, Will Penasini, Sam Loizu, uh, who you know always had very high standards set for him in terms of being future first graders and, and more. So, yeah, if he gets his chance... Is it and quite... Tony Mattaielli, too. He's a rhino. Yeah, there you go. And he's another player I was going to mention very quickly before we got to the actual preview because he was part of the preseason awards list. But, yeah, uh, Russell could be one of those guys that if he just gets that chance and stays healthy, he's not going to let go of it. And you know, th- that kind of competition is obviously fantastic to have, having a guy like Hayes Dunster, who you know does a great job on the wing, uh, being able to you know jockey with Sean Russell there. Uh, and Russell obviously also gives you a little bit of flexibility too because he can play centre. That's where he's trained uh, in addition to wing. And he has a background in fullback, which we're going to see this weekend against the Panthers. Uh, so we'll move on to the preview quickly, 60s, but I'll just run through the rest of the award winners quickly. Obviously, we, we'll talk about Josh Hodgson taking over the uh, best overall gong uh, this one's a big one. Uh, when you get a player, a award named after a current day player, you know it's serious business. But the King Garfo Best Condition Crown, you gave it to Jaden Yates. Again, no surprise to anyone reading your preseason training reports. Yates has uh, been absolutely top tier when it comes to conditioning. And he's a player that's going to make that battle for the depth charts at dummy half very interesting because you've got Mitch Rain, you've got Jaden Yates, you've got Brendan Hands. They're battling for what you'd think would be a maximum of two spots, although. Between Hands and Yates, you do get some coverage of other positions in Locke and, and the Harbs. Uh, but, yeah, he, he really set a high standard when it came to conditioning in the preseason. You've mentioned Dan Keir getting your most improved medal with the Dan Wagon uh, label there. The Ed Solkowitz Best Back Award going to uh, Quentin Gufferson, a player that could really flourish in the Trent Barrett system uh, that the Eels are employing in attack. That's going to be something we're going to see. Not this week, obviously, because Guffer hasn't been named, but hopefully next week we can see... Uh, Guffo in full flight. The Dick Fournette Best Forward Award. Well, this player is one that if you're playing Super Coach or NRL Fantasy, you've pretty much already got him in the bag, but he's had a lot of hype. Jermaine Hopgood, uh, he is... I think the way you wrote about it was you had him penciled in the place and back row uh, with Ryan Madison perhaps being you know the more dominant of the two. But after what you've seen, he's like quite literally carved out his own niche in the team already, and he's going to be a huge part for the Eels moving forward. We get to see him in action on Saturday, not with the Eels, 
but with the uh, Indigenous All-Stars, where he'll be starting at lock forward. The uh, Phil Man Next to Debut Award, you mentioned him already, a former Rail Hill Rhino, Tony Mattielli. Big, uh, I think he prefers the left edge from what we saw in 2022, but a big edge back rower, runs the courage line uh, with no fear, uh, very good prospect. Uh, I think the only knock you'd have on him was needs to tidy up the defense, but that feels like a, almost a universal criticism of a young prospect outside of guys like Dylan, who are the exception. So very, very keen to see when and where he makes his debut this year, mate. The Chris Inu, uh, Chris Inu Breakout Award player you gave to Jack Murchie and Sean Russell. And then last but not least, the Mick Mosley Watch This Space Award, the, the real wild card from the preseason, uh, Jaira Momosia, a player that has fluctuated almost wildly of where he's been playing and where he sort of seems to stand in the depth charts, but he's made a very serious late surge in the preseason to the point that he is starting tomorrow against Penrith. So very, very interested to see what he can bring because he is a very just almost unique prospect, almost Murata-esque. He played middle, front for, front row forward for the Knights, but we've seen him on the edge and in the centres for the Eels in the preseason. So there, there is something there to work with, it looks like. Yeah, he's one of those players. I I wrote that he was maybe looking at a bit of a dead end at Newcastle because he'd been there for a number of years. Not that he's you know advanced in age, but he just didn't seem like he was ever really going to crack a regular first grade spot, or or maybe even get another opportunity again. So. Making a move was probably the right call for him. And I think he's got something that the Eels might be able to tap into. BA has quite a reputation for being able to get fringe players yes, and turn them into quality, regular NRL players. It has been one of the calling cards under Brad Arthur, hasn't it? Being able to get the most out of players like Momosia. Yeah, and I think he's... Look, he's, he's not the... We talk about a comparison with Murata, but I think we're talking about the comparison in terms of versatility. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I I should have made that more clear. A guy that can play from middle to centre is a fairly unique commodity in that regard. Yeah. And and really, that's probably was the advantage of, of Murata in his years at the Eels in that he could make a switch during the game, depending on circumstance, or if there was uh, an injury toll issue. The fact that he could play out in the backs we saw was almost a godsend at at one point where the Eels had a real outside back crisis and we needed to select Murata in the backs and he he did more than an outstanding job uh, in filling in. He was, in fact, a lot of supporters were calling on him to be a regular selection at centre rather than being on the bench. But He's now, of course, moved on. Whether Momosia can become that sort of versatile player, time will tell. But he's forced his way into the starting lineup this week. And let's see how, how he performs. People get their first look at him uh, in that trial uh, against the Panthers. So, And um, let's, let's finally get to that team after all the preamble and all the preseason awards. Eels, this is what has been, I suppose, I'd argue, the showpiece event of the preseason for the last few years, not just for the Eels, but for the NRL. Uh, Parramatta taking on Penrith in a sort of preseason battle of the West where it's been an incredibly high standard 
uh, across several games. But that that was sort of as the final preseason trial, the the tune up for round one. Now it's care of the uh, the revamped preseason challenge and the World Club challenge coming back to Australia. Uh, it's being moved to the first trial, the more uh, experimental trial when it comes to the team lists, uh, which is both, a, a, I suppose, a good and a bad thing for a fan because for us, you get to see a lot of the fringe guys, guys that we would see also because we attend the New South Wales Cup, but in a more slightly more NRL setting given that there's a number of players that bring the experience and the talent uh, sort of ceiling-raising uh, skills to this game. Uh, for the Eels, though, we mentioned that Sean Russell will be playing fullback in this game, has the one on his back. On the wings, you've got Matthew Komalafi and Isaac Lumi Lumi, who joined the Eels uh, some point in the preseason. Samuel Luizu, Zach Sini round out the back line. And it's actually a surprisingly young back line. I think Lumi Lumi is the uh, the senior man at just 24 years of age. I think Sini's 22, Luizu 20, 21, Komalafi 21, Russell 21 as well. So quite a young back line, which is going to be what I believe should be pretty much Parramatta's reserve grade back line, pending whoever gets dropped back out of Dunster or Russell uh, in that battle for first grade. Uh, in the halves, Jordan Rankin and Jake Arthur. Offiki Ogden and Kai Rodwell are starting bookends with Josh Hodgson getting his first action in blue and gold starting at number nine. That's going to be very exciting. We'll talk about that, obviously. Captain the team from the left edge is Sean Lane. On the right edge, Jeremiah Masia. Ryan Madison, who will be suspended, unfortunately, to start the season. The NRL rebuffing Parramatta's plea about the uh, unfairness of a was it the grand final appeals process or post-grand final appeals process when there was a fan day at like 9 o'clock, uh, not holding up apparently, or at least they said there wasn't provisions to hold it up. So they might look at something in the future, unfortunately for us. Uh, he'll be at Lockford though. On the bench, Matt Dury, Mitch Rain, Urumu Greg, and Makahesi Makatoa. That is the time, the official 17, but beyond that, players that will get plenty of game time in the second half or maybe even late in the first half. Uh, Tony Mattayelli, Jaden Yates, Dan Keir, Luca Moretti, Tavita Talmapenu, the big hyphen, Jonte Jr. of Ephemiza. Uh, and then after that, there's another five players named, but I'm not expecting many, if any, to play. Dejan Arce, Hayes Dunster, Jack Murchie, Brendan Hands, and Junior Barlow. Out of those five, maybe Brendan, but the fact he's been named down there would indicate that maybe he's a bit nicked up because we saw Arce in a leg brace at the season launch. Hayes Dunster, you just mentioned, 60s. He's still looking for his final official clearance to go back to uh, game situations. Uh, Jack Murchie and uh, Junior, who's just gotten back a couple of weeks from his World Cup trip, um, I'll be surprised to see Junior play, given that he's named number 28. Yeah, I, I think, again, you've mentioned that this is the game that is normally the reserve grade. Um, exactly clash in terms of the trials where we normally trot out the uh, New South Wales Cup players with a sprinkling of NRL players. It's what we did against the Dragons last year. It's what we have done in the past. I think um, one of the previous years, we I think we took on the Raiders at um, St Mary's. Is that, yeah, that yep, yep, you're right. It was St Mary's, correct. Yeah. Uh, so we've we've traditionally done this and then the second trial has been uh, quite often the Panthers trial where we've had high quality games of football uh, last year I think we really turned it on from memory was it 30 nil that we yes I think it was about 30 nil yeah yeah uh, but that of course was without the uh, Panthers didn't play with their halves in that game th- through 
was it injury and suspension or was it just injury? I, I can't remember, but it's anyway, it's look, I'm not going to read too much into it other than both teams getting to trot out their depth chart a little bit. Yeah, and obviously the Eels are named a few core players. We talked about Hodgson, uh, Lane, Madison. They're probably the big three there. Uh, and then a lot of the other guys are the blokes jockeying either for bench spots, the final backline spot perhaps, uh, pending Hayes Dunster's fitness, uh, and just general depth chart stuff. So this is going to be a really good contest for the Eels to sort of shake things out in that regard uh, because there's no Tom Opachik anymore. So, you know, the, the sort of the battle for being the first or second up back is very much wide open. Uh, you know, we know Sean Russell's right in the thick of the actual first grade battle, but Zach Sini, Samuel Loizu, Matt Komalafi, a player who we both really enjoy watching. He's had a great preseason. He's really starting to fill out into that frame. You know, can he make a statement on Saturday? Can he, you know, really dominate when it comes to not just scoring tries, but the ruck work, the defensive stuff, uh, you know, all those things you look for in a modern NRL winger. Uh, of course, in the forwards, you've got a couple of spots open on the bench, or we think there's a couple of spots open on the bench after, well, Ryan Madison's going to be suspended, so that opens up another spot. But if you pa- pa- pencil in Maddo and Murchie, you know, who's going to be the last two forwards on the bench? Is it going to be Matt Dury working in a platoon with Momosia? Uh Can Matt Dury supplant Momosia? You know, so there, there's all these battles within battles here are uh, going to be Really interesting to see from just the starting 17. Then beyond that, uh, hopefully we can see guys like Matelli, Yates, uh, Talma Penu, Beth and Misa, um, you know, really put a foot forward in this game. Yeah, and one of the players that, that won't be playing this weekend, but he's maybe become the forgotten player, is Bailey Simonson, who will enter into that battle for a backline spot once his uh, shoulder injury has cleared. Yep. And uh, he's, I think there were reports that he was not going to be able to play until about halfway through the season. Now he'll be, he should be right before then. But when he's cleared to uh, to play, then he's going to be part of that battle that you've already mentioned has has really hotted up with um, the departure of Tom Opachik. So you've you've got the likes of uh, Wonga Blake and Bailey Simonson who are. Uh, either going to be pushing to be out on a wing or at centre, and yeah. that's if you suggest that Hayes Dunster doesn't get a, doesn't get the uh, wing spot, uh, given that he was going to be starting last year as a winger. So having won the uh, Rookie of the Year back in 2021, so it's. Um, yeah, this really does. I mean, the preseason was part of the big audition. Now the trials become part of that preseason audition, and let's hope the BA is left with a selection headache. Oh, hundred percent. No injuries, selection headaches because guys putting in great performances. That is the two things you really want out of trials. Uh, you know, everything else is academic. You can lose the game in you know the last second. You don't really care as long as you've got guys performing and no injuries. Yeah, absolutely, so absolutely. This one kicks off 6 o'clock p.m. out at Penrith 60s. I thought we are going to have a trial at Combank this year, but it turns out that that initial mail that came out late last year was incorrect because this one goes back out to Penrith. Next week we're up against the Knights on the Central Coast. Is that right? That's right, on the yeah. Friday night. Yeah, Friday night. But uh, because of the NRL's new emphasis on the preseason challenge where there is $100,000 up for grabs across a 
two-round competition that also features an English club, uh, go figure, which helps round out the the odd number of NRL teams. Uh, all games are televised, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So yes. if you don't want to get out the Penrith, can't get out the Penrith, I don't blame you if you don't want to get out there. It's not really a fun experience in the preseason, let alone the NRL games itself, but you can catch this one on, at very least, uh, the Fox NRL channel. I'm not sure about Channel 9, but you can catch it on Fox and KO. So no excuse to miss this one, 60s. We'll, uh, we'll obviously be watching this game and convening post-game to break down our first impressions of the trial, who starred, what the Eels got right, what the Eels might need to work on ahead of their clash against the Knights. Uh, but I'm going to put up a blog about this later today about some things to watch in this trial. Uh, obviously, the positional battles are huge. Guys looking to compete for starting berths, for bench spots, for the, the depth charts. But there's a little bit of stuff going on in the background here. We mentioned Trent Barrett's influence on the team. Uh, the new shapes and structures the Eels are going to be employing, not just in the NRL, but in the Cup too. Going to be very keen to see what that looks like in action against one of Barrett's old clubs, where he was held in such high regard as the assistant coach in charge of the attacking structures. Uh, also, Steve Antonelli, what he's brought to the club defensively. Um, going to be very keen to see that. But really, you can't talk about this trial without talking about Josh Hodgson. And just, I know he's playing without the, uh, the rest of his spine. No deal, no Moses, no Guffo. But... I'm really keen to see what sort of influence he can have, even with, you know, it's not a reserve grade team by any means around him because he's got Lane and Madison. But on that lesser competition or lesser tier of competition, you'd expect him to shine. And so really keen to see what he can do and how he so can... So hang on, hang on, mate. Are you suggesting that our readers have will will be able to get a 40-20 preview? Well, le- less a preview, more of just like a things to watch. You know, just, ah, okay. Uh, you know, the, the various... Uh, you know, positional battles and all the little things inside the game that you might want to focus on while you're watching. Mate, I'm looking forward to that. And then, then you're also suggesting that we're going to provide a uh, an instant reaction podcast. Well, I, I, I didn't want to preempt you and, and put you in a, an uncomfortable position, but I, I figured a lot of people sort of just take it as a given these days that there would be an instant reaction podcast. Well, I think I think we can we can mark that then Rustle down. It up. Uh, yeah. On the, on the schedule that will be there. <laughs> so, yeah, if we're playing at 6 o'clock, be wrapped up probably around about 8, 7.38. So we can probably get uh, the podcast out by, I'd say, 9-ish, if you want to have a late-night listen there. Um, Mate, the, co- the, the content, the content that's coming the way of TCT readers this, this weekend is phenomenal yeah. because we're talking about your things to look at for the in this first trial. We're talking about the... Coverage the live blog of the junior reps on Saturday. We're talking about an instant reaction to the to the uh, game on Saturday night. It's it's all it's all happening, mate. It's all happening. Yeah, it's uh, the the legendary sort of preseason slash junior reps Super Saturday, isn't it? We get it once a year, and it, it always ends up being an absolutely madcap day. You're rushing out in the past to Cabramatta New Era Stadium, but now. Kellyville, and then oftentimes trying to get out the Penrith after. Uh, so it, it, it leads to some absolutely manic moments. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. Really looking forward to the first home game of the year for the junior reps. Uh, for me, getting my first look at them in an official game situation outside of the trials that we saw. Uh, uh, you obviously got to see them on the Central Coast. I didn't, so I get to see all three teams playing at home. And then, yeah, getting to see the NRL boys in action. It's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, I would have loved to have changed the calendar around a bit as well and had the 
game against the Knights at Gosford on the same weekend as they played the uh, Roosters in that's, the that's junior some, reps. That's some big brain thinking right there, 60s. They need to get you uh, on the advisory board when it comes to drafting the schedule because that makes a lot of sense. That makes And, and would you believe, and this is just a side note, that I was able to travel to the Central Coast to watch them take on the Roosters in less time than it took me to find the ground at Mascot or wherever it was for the <laughs> oh, first that, ground. Oh, my last God, last year. year that, that just tucked away in the middle of, like, this, like, commercial district. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, it, it, it took me one hour exactly to get to Canwall, which was basically yeah. Tookley, for the um, for that match at Maury Breen Oval. And, uh, yeah, I think it took a, about an hour and ten by the time I'd, I'd got to, the, to that game last year. So uh, I didn't mind it. I had a nice weekend up on the Central Coast following that. As I said, it would have been nice if they uh, had have had the clash against Newcastle on the Saturday night and really um, made it a, a full day of Eels football. But, you know, can't complain too much about a, a nice weekend away on the Central Coast. Yes, indeed. And where's the podcast at right now? Oh, it's a casual hour and a half. So we've uh, we found a way to rant and rave and preview and review and stumble our way to 90 plus minutes of content, 60. So I think it's time to put a bow on it all. Uh, well, we basically proved why we moved to three to the, podcasts. To the three podcast format because even with just a little bit of NRL news and no real Parramatta news, by the by, you know, it was literally just uh, nothing new on Mitchell Moses plus... Josh Hodgson showing his you know, capabilities as a leader before joining the Eels. Uh, we still managed to drag it out like that. So, yeah, getting back to that format is going to be nice. Getting Spiro back on is going to be fantastic. So look forward to that. But for the short term, we've got a lot to break down this weekend. Enjoy this podcast, uh, my blog, 60s preseason training report, and then all the post-game stuff that's going to happen tomorrow. And don't forget, please, anyone that's eligible, Parramatta Leagues Club members, get out there and vote. Um, well, you don't even have to get out there. Just check your emails. Mail, email, internet. It, it, the amount of options is so free right now. Make sure you vote, though. Be informed. Yes. Make sure you vote. You've got until 5 p.m. Thursday, the 23rd of February. No excuse not to do it. Have your say in the future of the club. Absolutely. And go you wheels. <laughs>